Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm in task to encourage all of us with praising God today in the Psalms. But before I get there, um, I want to acknowledge that, like James said in, in the call to worship, many of us rarely feel like doing that. We get bogged down by parenting, work, stress, relationship struggles, sin, and ultimately at times, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not even the last thing on our list to praise God. Sometimes it just doesn't even make the list of our day. I know nothing like starting a sermon about encouragement to praise to be so down, but we have to acknowledge this. It, not, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be hard for us to recognize in this world that, that, that there are going to be plenty of opportunities for us to not want to sing praise to the Lord. Plenty of opportunities of difficulty or stress or struggles, but this should never change the fact that we still should be people of prayer people that spend much time in prayer. In fact, Psalms 137, 1 through 4 tells us this. It says, it says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows, there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We can hear the psalmist here going, I don't, How do I even sing a praise when, when this is our circumstances? The New Testament also shows us this in James. It says, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. It doesn't say if anyone among you is suffering, sing songs of praise. There it is, sorry. If anyone is there, he says, let him pray. But then he says, let, is anyone cheerful, then let him sing praise. So we do see that these are not mutually exclusive, but that they both can exist. They both happen. And, and so as we started this two-week series of kind of the intro last week, Psalms 1 and 2, and, and, the, and the, the closing this week on Psalms, uh, what Jack had shared with us was this idea that, that there are two kinds of people, the wicked and the righteous. And through the books of Psalms, you actually see the laying out of those individuals. You see how this plays out with the wicked and the righteous. And, and it doesn't always go exactly like you expect. The righteous seem to be in torment and struggle at times why the wicked seem to prevail. And we see this all through the Psalms. And the rest of the Psalms kind of speaks to these two groups. Jack showed us how the Psalms cause us to seek wisdom, to seek the wisdom of God through his word and the Son. The Psalms are about knowing the character, plans, and person of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jack alluded to this last week, but most scholars break the book of Psalms into five different books. You have the, the kind of the intro, which is Psalms 1 and 2, and the closing, which is Psalms 146 through 150. But then you have five other books in, in the book of Psalms. Psalms 3 through 41, Psalms 42 through 72, 73 through 89, 90 through 106, and 107 through 145. And, and each of these sections has a final poem that ends with the exact similar line. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. And so you see this all the way through. And when you look at the book of Psalms, if you, if you read the first two books of Psalms, there's way more lament psalms than there are praise ones. 
Those praise ones are sprinkled in there. And then the book of, uh, the third book, there's zero praise. It's just all lament psalms. And then book four and five, all of a sudden you see it switch and lament is less and praise is more. And ultimately ending in the last five books, which is all praise. And so this, this, this happens for a reason. There's two larger sections, like I said, lament or praise. The shift of lament to praise tells us something about the nature of prayer. It's important for us to see it. If, we're, if I was just to come in and say, okay, we're just gonna spend some more time praising without acknowledging the fact that there is a season of lament and prayer needed in our lives daily at times. Hoping for the messianic kingdom creates a tension as we as we see the tragic state of the world around us. All of us should, if you are in Christ, know that this is not home. Home is the new heavens and the new earth and us awaiting the Messiah differently than they were awaiting the the beginning of the Messiah coming to earth. We now wait for him to come and and instill all new heavens, new earth in the resurrection. That that should cause a tension in us because we, we know what it can and will look like to a degree and we see what it is and it's nothing like that. And so as we, as we work our way through the Psalms today, I wanted to real quickly start this one, one really important thing that we need to know before we get into it. And you, this may be common, and many, many of you may know this, but when you see Lord capitalized, L-O-R-D, in, in your Bible, um, this is the Bible's way of writing the name of God, Yahweh. It was the Hebrew authors who first put his name down and substituted the vowels of his name for Yahweh to make it Adonai. And so that's, and that was out of, reverence for not misusing God's name. And so when we see praise the Lord, it's actually a transliterated Hebrew word, two words together, hallelujah and yah. Okay, and that's important for us to understand. So uh, hallelujah is the second person imperative of praise. The second word yah is again the name, it's the short form of, of Yahweh, the name for God. So when we say hallelujah, not hallelujah, this cheeseburger is good, although that could work. But when we say hallelujah, we are exhorting others, both people and angels, to be joyful and join in praising Yahweh. And, and as if that's not enough, what makes this extremely significant is Yahweh isn't just a name of God, it's the name he gives himself. It's the name that he gives himself. It's a personal name. It's the one he told himself to distinguish himself from all their gods when Moses asked in Exodus 3.14. Who should I say that does this? He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So in the name Yahweh is built on the words of I am. So God put his absolute, transcendent, self-sufficient being at the center of his identity. And so when we say hallelujah, we're not just saying it like, oh, this is cool. Can I get an amen? And being all charismatic, although that's fine, right? When we say hallelujah, it's saying, sing with me, bring joy, praise God for all that he has done and all that he is. This isn't just the title of Lord, a distant God. No, it's, it's, it's a very personal God, Yahweh, who loves us and reveals himself to us through scripture. And so when we're told to praise Yahweh, like James said this morning, it's hard at times. It's difficult. And so, so why then do we praise God? My hope, my hope and prayer would be that after today, you will join me in a passion to call on all to hallelujah, regularly, regularly. That's a hard word for me, in our everyday lives. So why praise Uh, Psalm 152 actually gives us the answer as to why we are to praise. We'll get there in just a second. Before then, I want to go ahead and read through both the Psalms that we were covering today. Psalm 149 first. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let them let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Hallelujah. So in this, we see that, that this is a psalm of victory. Something has won in, in history in this time for us. It's, it's, a, it's a recognition. For them, sorry, for them, it was the ability to worship in the place of God under the authority of their King David. For us, for us, it's the, for us to be the people of God worshiping in the place of God under the throne of God, which Jesus sits upon. Something that we will only truly experience in full in the resurrection. But for us, the victory that is won isn't, isn't some war where we can have some king standing on some earthly throne. No, for us, the victory that's won is Jesus defeating sin and death. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15 says it this way. It says, the sting of death is, is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. Hallelujah. It's not there, but that belongs there. I promise you, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we... We, church, we sit today on this point in history on the other side of the greatest victory that will ever happen in all of the earth's history. We, we sit here today knowing that there is no other battle that needs to be won because the greatest war has been won in Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Him not staying put in the tomb is the greatest victory any of us could ever experience. So we are to be praising him constantly for this victory. We are never short of reasons to praise God. Yet we all feel that tension, right? You get bogged down a little bit more and it's really hard to want to hallelujah. It's really hard to call others to sing praise with you when you can't seem to utter praise out of our own mouths, right? We all feel this tension, so Psalm 150 breaks it up for us in a really, really interesting way. It, you, you see kind of three main themes in Psalm 150. You see that we see who we are to praise, why we praise, and how we praise. And, and this, is, this is just one psalm that shows us this. There's many other reasons, there's many other things, but this is kind of an all-inclusive, and I love it. So let's go ahead and get into it real quick. Um, can't even tell where I'm at. Oh, I already read that, sorry. My bad. There we go. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him, in, uh, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sounds. Praise him with the heart. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So all of us got to start picking up trumpets, tambourines, and strings and pipes. This is going to be fun. It's going to be joyful, I promise a joyful noise. I don't know what's going on here. There we go. So this is the thing. So it's an inclusio. Ryan helped me with this this week. Uh, You see that the beginning of Psalms 
actually works out where the first line and the second line are essentially saying the same thing just differently to show you the power of what's in the meat here. So at the beginning, it's hallelujah, praise God in his, in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty hands, in his mighty heavens. And then it's let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I, I don't know if you guys see who is it we're supposed to be praising here. Is it creation? Is it the, the snow when we get to go skiing? There's, there's really only one source that we're supposed to be praising here, and that's God, that's Yahweh. So the who we are to worship, to praise, to, to sing joyfully to is to God, not to man, not to man-made systems, not to the things that we have in our lives. When he says, praise Yahweh, all that has done, He's saying, praise him for all he's done in his son, Jesus Christ. Praise in his holy place, his sanctuary, or the dwelling places. Essentially, what he's saying here is, is we're all to be praising God, including the angels. In his, in his dwelling place, they should be praising God at the same time. We're calling on everyone to be praising God. So then, how are we to do it? Grab your instruments, church. This is a hard one for me because I have zero musical ability. I guess this is a hard one because it's like, man, I, I want to pick up a tambourine, but I can't do it on beat. You don't want to see me dance, okay? But like, this is a hard one, but this isn't, don't get lost in, in the fact that this is all instruments here. The, the, the thing that is really being said here is with absolutely everything you can, praise God. With everything you can, hallelujah, with, with, the, with the, every tool that you have in your hands, make it a tool that can be used to hallelujah. This is what he's saying here. He's saying it doesn't matter what instrument it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's loud or quiet or it's your full body, but every single aspect, every single thing you can come in contact with, your family, your jobs, everything that you have is an opportunity for you to go praise Yahweh. Everything your hobbies, none of these things should take place of God. None of these things should be taking place of God. If you find joy in something, that's your heavenly Father who is good, giving you the opportunity and the ability to do something to enjoy, not so that you then worship that thing. We don't worship the creation, we worship the creator of all things. So this is with everything if you see something incredibly amazing, which is, I love those, if you've ever watched those, I'll get kind of sucked into those videos of people doing like stupidly ridiculous things. And the first mind, first thought I always have is how many bones did they break before this video actually worked? But it's really easy for me in that moment to be like, wow, that person's amazing. But really what it tells me to do is, oh my goodness, God, you are so crazy good and powerful to allow a human being to even be able to accomplish something like that without dying. Everything you have should praise God. And it should be something that we are calling on everyone. This, this isn't a praise God by yourself in your room alone, although you can do that. This is a, hey, you, you come join me. This is joyful. In fact, this is almost a command. So then why? Why do we praise God? Because if we're honest again, we, we, we can say, oh, okay, well, we're supposed to praise God because he told us to. But that doesn't, that doesn't really, that doesn't, lend itself to life change in us, does it? Psalms 152, I skipped it. Verse two says it. 
that says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now, now this might seem like a church answer, but it's a good church answer, okay? God has accomplished incredible things. Like throughout history, if you read the scriptures, if you see, if you've lived any life at all, you've experienced unbelievable victory in little things almost every day of your life that God has done. So to, to praise him for his mighty deeds, I mean, he's, I, I think he's worthy of praising for like parting the Red Sea. That's pretty mighty. I think, it's, I think there's many things that we can say over and over and over again that, that were mighty deeds of his. His excellent greatness. Now, what is his excellent greatness? God's mighty acts are one reason to worship God, to praise him in every place. He's done so many things, right? But the ultimate demonstration of God's power came in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His excellent greatness, the greatest thing he ever did was Jesus. There's nothing that will ever come close. There's not even like a, a, like a close second. The closest second will be when Jesus comes back again. He gets first and second. Everything else is a long ways away from that. But in that, even when we think about this, yeah, that was really powerful. Yeah, that's, that's great. No, no, no. The mighty deed was saving sinful man through Jesus Christ, allowing you and I to be in a right relationship with our creator to where we can actually praise him by his name without fear or trepidation of being in his presence because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is why we praise him for his mighty acts and ultimately the greatest demonstration of love and power in Jesus Christ. This is why we praise him. But let's be honest, even that's not compelling, right? Everyone's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I need to do that. This is why I sometimes am very thankful for the fact that I wasn't raised in the church. Hear me on that, okay? Um, Not being raised in church has brought with it many pains in my life that I wish I could take back. I long for a testimony that says, I don't know a day apart from the Lord. I pray that for my kids. I pray that for you kids. I pray that no one else has to go through that. But one of the, one of the fringe benefits, <laughs> secondary benefits, I, I, I wish that God had given me that story, but, but the salva- God's salvation story in me included a life apart from him for a season where I was keenly aware of just how gross and terrible I am as a person. And, and I think the reason why I say not being raised in church, I, many people raised in the church have, have experienced this and they can still experience this and there's no reason why they can't. However, this is just the story that God glorified himself in, in me for a moment. So let me just talk about me. <laughs> when, I, when I first came to faith, when I first surrendered my life to the Holy Spirit's work in, in, in drawing me out and God choosing me, it was really funny because at first it was like he needs to prove himself and all these things like the dinosaurs. I, don't laugh at me, it's true. I wanted him to answer dinosaurs for me, okay? And I was like, how could this Bible be real and all those things? But when, when God finally grabbed my heart and opened it up, guys, all that mattered, all that mattered was that he chose me. And it still to this day, shocker, brings me to tears because I'm keenly aware of who I am apart from God and, and at times disgusted by who I am with God. But, but no matter how disgusted I get in the moment of being with God, I know who I was apart from God, and I know who I am because of God. 
And so I'm keenly aware of it. There's, there's no doubt. I can't say, well, there was a, a slightly better version of Brent. No, no. Brent was crap. He was nothing before Jesus. And that is so easy for me to remember because his early 20s. Not that old, okay? But similar to the Psalms, we see this. Like you have this moment of breaking at the beginning of like, oh my gosh, wicked or righteous. And the righteous man's like, I'm undone. I want to be with God. And, and they worship. But then, then something happens and it's called life. And you spend time and I think this can go a myriad of ways. Some of us, it's, for me, it was, I wanted to know God greater. And so I dug into the scriptures, which I would encourage every single person to do. But I dug into the scriptures and I dug into doing for God and forgot to be with God. And so my, my walk became about knowing about God so I could defend him and tell people about him, but never being with Yahweh. And so I, I lost sight for a season and you get bogged down. And then when you find yourself in the season, and guys, this season's different for all of us. This can be decades, this can be years. But when you find yourself in the season, what happens is when, when life happens, it gets really hard. And, and all the theology in the world, although it can speak truth, if it's not connecting to your heart and you're not in connection with the Lord through prayer and praise, pretty soon it begins to look like it's something on the other side of the fence that you just can't have. So then you start asking the questions of, well, I know all these things about God and you're, you have the theology of your head talking to your heart, which I think is good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not advocating for one or the other. I think both exhaust are important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Like it's everything of us. But this season, we find ourselves kind of the, the middle of life season, the middle of faith season, I'll call it. You, you, you're keenly aware of all the things that you do, both good and bad. And you're keenly aware of growing in your knowledge of God, but you, you forget who God is in you and what he has done in you. So like James says this morning, when we get up and you, you get experience hard life, which I know many of your stories, you're experiencing hard life. But it's in those moments when it's, 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 it's not even fathomable for us to think that lament could turn to praise. And then as you near the end of your life, which Lord willing, I'm not there yet, but um, I've had many friends of mine that have gotten there and have passed they always, I'm always tickled by the way that they say it. They're, they're keenly aware of who they are and what they aren't capable of doing. It's, it's almost like Solomon, like where I've, you know, it's all vanity. It's all, it's all just a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. They've tried. They've exhausted it. You know, you, you're in your 20s, you, you can accomplish anything. In your 30s, you're like, well, that was a little bit harder. In your 40s, you just wake up sore, right? And then in your 50s and 60s and 70s, you start recognizing that no matter how much you accomplish, nothing of it ever compares to all that God has done and is doing in and through you for his glory. I don't think we have to wait until we're 70 to, to experience this. I really don't. And I, I, I'm not suggesting that we don't learn about God, and I'm not suggesting that we don't um, spend time with the discipline of, of, of sharpening our mind and, and being ready to give an account. Those are all beautiful things. What I'm trying to help us understand is that those things aren't ever to take place of us just hallelujah. Anything you learn, it's not because you're awesome and your mind's strong, it's because God is allowing you to do that. 
God has given you the ability to do that. There's nothing in us, church, that is valuable except for Christ in us. And, and praise God, hallelujah, that he was able, like the psalm say, who am I that you would give to us salvation? I want to look at one psalm that I think will help us because I understand and I'm not asking us to be blind to the world and I'm not asking us to, to pretend that lament will not be here. The psalms show us over and over and over again that lament's powerful and beautiful and wonderful in prayer to the Lord. I want to, I want to show you one psalm that I, that I love and I feel like this psalm actually allows us to... to understand the value where we don't have to wait where it's like, I just came to Christ. This, this, is, this is the thing. Have you, ever, have you ever interacted with someone who just came to faith in Jesus? Does anyone have, like, like, come on, show of hands. Come on, this is interactive here. Okay, yeah. Aren't they kind of annoying? I mean, let's, let's be honest for a moment. It's like, it's like newlyweds. It's like, ah, like, right? But deep down inside of us, the reason why they annoy us is because we see the joy that they have and we feel like we can't have it. I love new believers because it's like talking to someone that knows absolutely nothing at all about God, but they know the most important thing. He chose me and he loves me and I'm his. What else is there to proclaim or declare? So I wanna, I wanna go to a psalm that hopefully will help you. Remember that whenever your season of lament comes, there's still reason to Hallelujah. Um, Psalm 113, I call it my biblical uh, permission to whine, okay? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I mean, doesn't it just sound whiny? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. This is a deep cry from David. This is, a, I mean, this is, not a, this is not a like, oh, it's a tough day, bad traffic, didn't get my coffee in time. No, this is like, like everything around me. Like, like he's not... It is not just, poetry is beautiful, but it's meant to tell us, like, he could have said, man, I feel like I'm going to die. But when he says, lest I sleep the sleep of death and sorrow, like, like this is him trying to grab onto words to explain the depravity of his soul in this moment. And who is he going to? He's going to God with his lament. That's the first thing, church. There's nothing wrong with going to the bride. But if you are not going to the Lord first and foremost and continually, you're just going to end up in a lot of gossip and a lot of whining. And so he says this, and you can see him just like clamoring. And then Psalms 113, or 13, 5 through 6 comes. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And it'd be really easy to read it that way. It'd be really easy to read it like, like online. Oh, and I'm, I understand I'm adding, I should have put asterisks like the, the narrative voice is me adding to the scriptures. That's not my own conjecture in it. But I, I, don't, I don't think that's what's happening here. All scholars pretty much assume no circumstances have changed for him in this. It's not like he wrote the first part and then came back two years later and wrote the second part. Most scholars believe, again, they believe that, that, that nothing's been answered. No deliverance has, has arrived. However, in a moment, for David, enemies grow small, sorrow and care loosen 
they're gripped. And lament gives way to praise. Why? Because David's prayerful meditation on God's promises has reminded him of something more powerful than his enemies, more certain than his sorrow. And what is it? It's his steadfast love. In a moment, in a moment, he, he stops to, to, to be reminded, like, oh, his steadfast love, like, it's not going anywhere. Like, even though everything around me is, is falling apart, he's reminded of, of the promises that God had told him. He's reminded of, of who God is and the history that he's seen in God's life. And so he's like, oh, well, your steadfast love, like, okay, I get it. This is how I feel, so God, please answer. But my heart will, will rejoice. Why? Because you have saved me. And church, that's the same for us today. Oh, this is such a hard life, but my heart can rejoice because he has saved me. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt beautifully, bountifully with me. He has, he has cared for me. I don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. How can we praise? Because he's done everything to allow us to do so. Today, we have even greater assurance of God's steadfast love than David did. We have a bloody cross and an empty tomb and a Savior who, is set, who sits on his throne. There's, there's nothing more assuring than that. And if his steadfast love is ours, then we too can sing with abandon far before deliverance comes. You hear that? If, 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 if he is ours and you are his, then, then before you ever experience the little victory for whatever you're asking the God of the universe to give you, your personal Yahweh, you can praise because you know that the deliverance will come. Think about this. Think about this. There's all kinds of little victories in your life. Lazarus was a little victory being brought to life. The real victory was Jesus coming out of the tomb for Lazarus. So you might experience little moments of, of hallelujah in this world, and you may, they may be far and few between, but every single one of us can fix our eyes not on these circumstances, not on what's in front of us, but on what is to come in the promises of God who has never failed to keep his promise in Jesus Christ. The Psalms teach us to neither ignore our pain nor let it determine the meaning of our lives. Biblical faith and prayer is always forward-looking, anticipating the day when God will fulfill his promises and praising him for this ahead of time regardless of our circumstances. So, church, hallelujah. Yeah, because... We do not grieve as those without hope, like 1 Thessalonians 4 says. Hallelujah. Yeah, because we, don't, we know death has no sting as Jesus has defeated it, 1 Corinthians 15. Hallelujah, because in him we are fully known, acceptable, loved, holy, and blameless, Ephesians 1. Hallelujah, because we know these bags of bones we walk around, and oh boy, do we feel it, and are, are not the end, 1 Corinthians 15. Hallelujah, because we know that we are fully loved, adopted into the kingdom that will one day be the new heavens and the new earth in the presence of our magnificent king, Revelations 21. Hallelujah, because our God is known to us. He came down to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah, that he didn't leave us alone, on, left to our own devices to try and find this, but instead he chose us, he saved us. Church, this should bring some charismatic out of us. This should instill in us an excitement and a joy to say, praise God, I'm not the wretch that I was. I'm holy and blameless because of what he has done and not based on anything I will or won't do in the future, but only on what he has finished, the completed work on the cross. It is finished, church. 
Hallelujah. And I understand there's, there's no motivation to try and spark this or to wake you up from the, the cold, dreary day or the snow that's exciting you or maybe the hill that's, that's awaiting you to get on your skis. But if you, if you would, just for a minute, I want to I allow us to do what the Psalms showed us to do, which is to find ourselves to know God in his word through his son. And I want to just read some scripture. And my hope is that when I get to this scripture and I read it, that you would, you would not just let it be something that you, you hear, but that you would let it internalize in you. And recognize that this is, this is Yahweh speaking to you. And that you're not alone. You're in a room of brothers and sisters. And, and there's nothing more biblical to the Psalms than saying, hey, this is really awesome. I have a lot of joy in this. Join me in praising God for it. So we're going to read here some scripture and then I'll pray for us and then we will uh, move into praising the Lord. Um, I want to acknowledge one thing. If you find yourself in a season of lament right now, then lament. But no, just like the Psalms have a lot of lament at the beginning with little praises sprinkled in to a lot of praise and little lament, there is a season coming for you. I don't know how far, how long. You're not alone. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He knows right where you're at and he knows exactly what you need for him to get the glory and for your good. Trust him in this season. And if nothing else, maybe just for a moment, no matter how old you are, how long it's been, maybe in just a moment, you would remind yourself of that annoying, euphoric feeling you had where God chose you and that's all you needed to know. And following him was the greatest thing in experience of your life, better than your marriage day, better than your first child, better than anything else you'll ever experience in this world. Knowing Jesus passes it all. So let's read some Ephesians real quick as we get ready to go into Ephesians starting next week. Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which, you has, which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable, there it is, immeasurable greatness, hallelujah, for his immeasurable greatness, of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is enough to praise God right there. That right there is enough to praise God, but but he doesn't leave us there. He, He draws us into this. Now, this is where every single one of us have reason to praise. And you, me, you, Bren, were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's very clear and very true who we are apart from Jesus. But God, the same God 
which did up earlier, fills all in all, gave everything to Jesus. It's the same God, but Yahweh being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, loved Bren. Even when I was dead, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us and, um, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches, there it is again, guys, of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We know the end of the story, church. We know that in spite of all of this life's strife, pain, and sadness, there's a day coming when all tears will be wiped, like Revelations 21 says. So there may be moments of sadness and lament, in our prayer life, but those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior can utter with the psalmist, hallelujah, for the completed work of Jesus Christ, our true Messiah King. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all you do and all you are. And that's enough. God, I know that my prayer life can be inundated with asking for more from you. Um, And I know that it's not more. You've already given me everything. Um, I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I've been adopted. I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. God, there's, there's, there's nothing better than that. And so as I come to you with these light momentary afflictions, as Paul calls them, <laughs> in my life, God, would you help me to be, always move from there to praise? Would you help me always move from there to hallelujah? Would you, would you help me and this church, God, help us to not get lost in the day in and day out stuff. Help, help praising you, help hallelujah be something that we, we just can't help but do to call on other people's because of all the ways that you are showing yourself over and over again, but ultimately for the greatest, for the greatest good, Lord. For your faithfulness and your love and your work, completed work of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.